you turn in your Bibles again to the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke, a study that I've entitled Peter's Power Problem. Verses 31 to 38 this morning as we continue along in our journey with the Lord Jesus. Next time we come together, we'll actually be in the garden. But today as we get this incredible picture of a power problem. Peter is a, a, about to experience a spiritual brownout. You know, we have those here in Southern California where supply outstrips demand. Amen? Uh, we don't experience them too much here on the mountain, but we have them when the weather's bad and the ice gets on the lines and the lines go down. There's no power available. Amen? You go turn everything on in your house and nothing happens. Amen? Can I remind you that spiritually we can suffer from spiritual brownouts? Though we are the body of Christ and though we are saved, though we are the beloved of God, and no matter how powerful we are, no matter how powerful we may be one day, we actually have the capacity to the following day, the following morning, the following minute, the following second, to be falling on our face, to mess up. To forget what we learned ten minutes ago. I could recount to you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of people coming to me. And it will begin like this, I can't believe I did, and then fill in the blank. I don't know why, and then fill in the blank. Can I remind you that we're still sinners who are saved by grace? that we're still in desperate need of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives every moment of every day. And this morning we see Peter's power problems. Now, I will remind you that I, I, I identify with Peter. and Probably many of you do as well. I, I have Peter's same basic problem often. I have a lot of zeal. And sometimes things don't exactly work out the way I would hope they would. Sometimes in good intentions, I end up doing even the wrong thing. Sometimes in those moments of weakness, maybe those moments when we are tempted to trust in our own strength. Anybody else tempted to trust in your own strength occasionally? Anybody else tempted to run to that well instead of the well of the Spirit when something comes into your life that you can't quite figure out how to handle and the first thing you know, you're right back to being Simon. Remember, Simon got a name change. He became Petros. He became the stone, the rock. But he used to be Simon, he who hears. You see, we need the power of God in our lives. It, it's not an option for us. That's why I feel for Christians who believe that they can kind of be saved and then do without all that comes with being saved. Live their life according to the ways of this world, and they wonder why in those moments of testing, those moments of trial, that somehow... They run low on the very resource that they need most, and that's the power of God. Would you pray with me this morning? 
Father, this morning as we've had an opportunity to worship you, we have done so in spirit and in truth. We've cried out to you, Lord, that we love you. And we do. Lord, we do. We love you. And we ask this morning as we again turn our attention to your word that you would love on us. Lord, we need to hear from your voice in heaven. We need to understand and know what is your good and your perfect will. And so, God, as we study your word, would you cause us to receive it, mull it over it, ponder it, think on it, and take it in, that it would be life to us. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. All God's people said, Amen. So the first thing we see here uh, is a really daring deceiver and a denial. Look at verse 31. And the Lord said, remember we're continuing this upper room discourse. We're about to head out onto the Mount of Olives with Jesus. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Can I remind you that the book of Job clearly gives us the picture that Satan is after all of us to sift us as wheat? Peter wasn't alone in that dynamic, but Peter absolutely was the primary target. That day. And in fact, the word translated you there is actually uh, easiest for us to understand in the vernacular of you all or y'all. <laughs> He's after y'all. Every last one of y'all, y'all. Satan has decided to sift all of us, Peter included, as wheat. But I want you to notice what is said. You would think in response to a frontal attack from Satan that Jesus would have said something like this. But don't worry, Peter, I got this. Don't worry, Peter, I'm so far superior to Satan that you can just go about your life blithely and don't even concern yourself with Satan. Not only does he not say that, but he actually says virtually the opposite of it. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you've returned to me, when you've repented, when you've gone your own way, when you've headed down a path that you shouldn't go down, when you have returned to me, because I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to blow it. There is no doubt you're going to have some issues tonight. When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Family of God, this is one of the most poignant passages in the entire 
New Testament. Maybe in all the Bible. Because Jesus, on one hand, is declaring Peter's humanity and failure. And on the other hand, his own power to overcome that failure and for Peter to repent and turn to the Lord. And if you can't get excited about that, there's something seriously wrong with you. Because this is us. This is our story. This is me. This is you. This is the church in the world. This is all of us collectively. That's why he says you all. Because try as hard as we may, every once in a while we cave into that flesh, don't we? As much as we want to bless the Lord and praise the Lord and be honoring to the Lord, sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way. And not only did Jesus know this of Peter, he also gave him an encouragement in that when you get done doing the dumb stuff and when you've turned around and you've gone the right way, go use it to build up the rest of the body of Christ. But I want you to see Peter's response, because this too is like us, isn't it? But Peter, he, said to him, Lord, I am so amazingly awesome and spiritually strong. I am so overwhelmingly awesome. Matter of fact, I am probably the best of all of the disciples. Now, I know you don't find that in your Bible, but the intent there is in the original language that he's basically boasting about how awesome he is. Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and death. You want to know the scary thing? He actually meant it. As much as Peter could mean it, he meant it. The problem was Peter had a power problem. He was resting and trusting in Peter. He was resting and trusting in his own life, in his own giftings, in his own experiences, in the things that perhaps he'd gone through. I mean, after all, he spent two and a half years with Jesus, amen? He was ready to go! I mean, after that, who wouldn't be ready to just tackle the world by yourself? That's why I love Peter. I have had countless thousands of campers and Bible college students and people tell me, yeah, I'm just, I'm going into the mission field next week. And I just kind of quietly try and encourage them and then shake my head. Oh, they do not know what bus is coming. They have not got a clue what lies ahead. Lots of zeal, but very little knowledge of the war that is going to ensue the moment you say yes to more of Jesus and less to you. Because the more you're being used, the more you're going to be attacked. It's that simple. The greater your commitment, the more that enemy will try and condemn. That's how it works. That's why you see your friends who claim to be Christians, but they marginally live their lives. Very often, nothing happens to them. 
They don't go through spiritual attacks because they're of absolutely no use to God. And in fact, very often they're actually somewhat useful to the enemy. So the enemy has no reason to attack them. They're at best a neutral party in the grand spiritual war that goes on in our world. But Peter was saying, I'll stand in front of you, Jesus. And Satan's saying, game on. And then he said, and I think Jesus probably said it this way. Oh, Peter. I tell you, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times. You're not going to make it to daybreak before you do exactly the opposite of what you just said. Not once, not twice, but three times. Would you please be encouraged this morning? The Lord knows our weaknesses and He loves us anyway. He cherishes us anyway. Matter of fact, He actually delights in us. He wasn't hating on Peter in this passage. He was simply reminding Peter, things aren't as you see them, Peter. You see, Judas was gone, and now the focus was going to shift. And so he uses this vehicle of mentioning his old name twice. Not his name that he got after he really got on fire for the Lord, but his old name that he had before he was on fire for the Lord. Simon, Simon. Poor Simon. Can I remind you, as I remind myself, there's a little bit of the old us still left in us as well. Amen? We call that the old man. We're to crucify. I'm supposed to be dead, but every once in a while, maybe it doesn't happen to you, happens to me, the old man surfaces. It's amazing to me how many times I come up the hill and, and the only accident on the mountain is two turns from my house. And there the old man is. You know, I'm just thinking, what kind of knucklehead? We get in a crash, right? I could walk home from here. You know, and it just kind of spins through your, and you're like, oh, well, there were probably people, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Would you heal the people who got injured in the wreck and I repent of my stupid not wanting to wait for a few more ten minutes, you know, whatever it is. You know, it just comes up, doesn't it? That old man's still there. That old woman's still there. Those old attractions somehow come back. You know, every year about this time after we've gone, I'm, I'm in the, you know, after Christmas coma from food. You know, you think you have a little bit of liberty and all those calories kind of collect in a certain spot known as your midsection. And you look and you're like, wow, that's not good. And you knew when you were eating that fourth can of almond roca, you shouldn't have done it. But you did it anyway. 
Aren't you glad a voice from heaven didn't... You lousy glutton! Now the Holy Spirit's speaking to you going, you probably ought to lay off the almond roca. And I'm, I'm saying these things because, frankly, this is exactly how simple we are. It's not that complex. Very often it is those little things that get us into the big things, isn't it? Just like we call certain drugs gateway drugs because they lead to other drugs. You know, people that pick up habits that lead to other habits. That's how the enemy works. And in Peter's case, even something so wonderful as his amazing bravery, his zeal, could become a point of attack. And that's exactly what happens here. And we get the Super Bowl next week. This is a full-on, all-out quarterback blitz. And Peter's the quarterback. The whole team's coming. They pulled the safeties, the defensive backs, the linebackers. They pulled every... They're all on the line, and they are going to run up the gut right at Peter. And there aren't enough people to block them all. And Peter's going to get hit. He's going to suffer a knockdown. He's going to get sacked. Very much like the ministry today. And this is not poor, pitiful Jeff time, but it's to tell you, I get attacked a little more frequently than you all do because of where I stand, because of what I do, because of what I've chosen to do, because of what I delight to do, quite frankly. I'd have it no other way. But the moment you say yes to Jesus, and there are many in here who can shake their head. I'm looking at my brother Chris, my brother Ray. You can shake your head and you go, yep, that's exactly, Dan, what happened when you got ordained as a pastor? All of a sudden your life falls apart. All of a sudden the enemy turns up the heat. All of a sudden the things that once were easy for you now have become painfully difficult. You are putting yourself in harm's way the moment you say yes to Jesus in any greater fashion than you exist today. Satan hates on fire Christians. And the more on fire you are, the more in the line of fire you will be. That's the way it's going to work. Satan was sizing up Simon. And we know because we have the rest of the story of Peter's life. By the time you get to Acts chapter 2, he's back on fire again. Amen? You men of Israel. He preaches this amazing sermon. Who put Jesus to death on the cross. What are you going to do with that knowledge? And 3,000 people get saved. Amen? Satan doesn't know everything, but he's pretty crafty. And so he comes after Peter. Would you please notice with me the Lord's answer here? And I love this answer. He's saying, look, y'all are in the line of fire. Peter, I have prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. 
Not that you'd be delivered from the temptation, but that you'd be given enough faith to endure the temptation, go through the temptation, exist after the temptation is over, once you take the beating that you'd stand up and keep on moving. You see, a lot of baby Christians believe that you're, once you give your life to Jesus, it's just going to be, you know, this amazingly smooth road wherein you will never be tested or tempted again. You'll just kind of wander off into happy bliss with Jesus. You kind of picture some of these, quite frankly, ludicrous pieces of art that show Jesus and somebody walking through a garden. When you get to heaven, that will be true. But here on this earth, not so much. Matter of fact, the opposite is likely to be true. And I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask uh, of, for a show of hands in this congregation this morning, how many of you, after you gave your life to Christ and after you said yes to being used more, you also got afterwards beat half to death by the enemy? Probably most of you. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to spare you all the stuff. I'm not going to save you from every battle. I'm not going to call a legion of angels to defend you, no more than I would call a legion of angels to defend myself. I'm going to ask the Father to give you more faith to endure. Because when you endure, you strengthen your brethren. If you simply get taken out of the situation, it is of no benefit to anyone else. Because they don't see the power of God then. They just simply see that, well, I just asked my great genie in the sky and he'll just deliver me out of those things. That's why people who unfortunately fall into those false kingdom beliefs that you can just call on God and he's obligated to deliver you from everything and give you, you know, a new car if you need one and a new house if you need one and if you have cancer you're just going to instantaneously be healed from it because you had enough faith. That isn't what your Bible says. Your Bible says quite to the contrary, the exact opposite. That in this world you will have tribulation, but don't be dismayed. I've overcome the world. You need enough faith to get through those things you're going to go through. More faith. Not I'll stop every attack. Not I'll take Satan out. Not you'll be never tempted again. Not you're going to be so holy that Satan will be afraid of you, as some people say. Can I just tell you, if you're silly enough to challenge Satan, you deserve what you're going to get. Don't challenge Satan to a fight. It's not a wise idea. He seeks whom he may devour, and he is very powerful. Greater is he who's in you. But he's still a mighty foe. Don't challenge him unnecessarily to a fight. Be wise, be prudent, and pray like crazy that you'll have enough faith to get through every battle that you face. But can I tell you this? You ain't coming out unscathed. Some of you, maybe that's new news. I think for most of you, it's not new news. You're going to bear some scars while you're on this world. It's called bearing your own cross. It's called putting your hand to the plow and plowing a straight row, not looking back. It's called working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
It's called examining your own heart to see if there be any wicked way in you. You see, we've got a fight to fight. And at times that fight's going to be raging and roaring, and at times you're going to have a little respite from it. And God knows exactly when you need those respites. But you won't necessarily have them when you think you ought to have them. You need more faith. That was the answer. And frankly, some of us, that kind of makes us mad. Well, I don't want more faith. I just want you to deliver me. I don't want to go through it. I want you to save me from it. Isn't that how some of us think? Maybe you don't. I do. You know, when I talk to people that have a serious health issue, they aren't exactly going, boy, I sure hope I can have more pain today and enough faith to get through the pain. They usually want to be healed. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. But realize you may not be healed. You might be simply given more faith to endure as a good soldier. That is one of the options. And we need to be open to that reality. That God may not remove every single thing from us. You see, over the next three days, the disciples' world was going to fall apart. Amen? It was going to fall apart. They believed, we just saw them argue over who's going to be the greatest, that Jesus was going to take care of Rome, set up a theocracy, and they were going to get to be the big deal. And not only was that not going to happen, exactly the opposite was going to happen. Here's their guy on Calvary's cross, in agony, dying the death of a criminal. That wasn't exactly what they had planned. And yet it was exactly what God had planned. And he'd actually already told them so. They would need more faith. Because they were going to face something that they couldn't face without it. That was not reconcilable in the human mind. Think about it for a second. If you've been walking with Jesus and you've been hearing all this stuff about the coming kingdom and all these wonderful things, and you've been watching Jesus raise the dead and heal the sick and feed thousands, taking a couple of loaves and some fish and saying, hey, look, everybody, come on, we're going to just take it. You would be thinking that Jesus was just going to do that on a grander scale. Amen? Well, he'll just feed everybody. We'll all just walk around. We won't have to do anything. And I'm going to be a prince, and you can be a prince, and she can be a princess, and we'll just all hang out. It's going to be awesome. Their world was literally going to fall apart. They were going to see their king die on the cross. And as far as they were concerned, it was over. Good news is Sunday was coming. Amen. The rest of the story that Jesus also told them that on the third day he would rise, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, and then he barfed up on a beach. Jesus was coming back, but he was going to die. Why did Satan attack Peter like this? Because he was going to come out stronger on the other side. Why does he attack you? Because you're going to come out stronger on the other side. That's why God allows it. God is good. Amen? Amen. God is good all the time. Amen? Amen? 
So if God allows bad things in the lives of good people, when God is good, He must intend it for? Amen. All things work together for the? For those who? God and are the called according to His purposes. You get it? So He allows bad things in our lives for the good. That's the marvel of Genesis chapter 50, the life of Joseph. That which Satan intended for evil brought me here to do good for you. I guarantee you when Joseph was looking up from the hole at his family, this is not what I had in mind today. You ever been thrown in a hole by your family? I have. Literally. Not the hole, but a hole. Literally. Looked up at my own parents. Why would you do this to me? So I would be here today with you. Now, some of you may say, well, that's not so good. <laughs> But he allowed it. I didn't see it then. I see it now. I tell you, Peter, that the rooster will crow this day. But before that happens, you're going to deny me three times. That's us. A few minutes later, Peter's going to rebuke the Lord. Can I give you a little bit of advice? Never rebuke the Lord. Then... Jesus rebukes him back. Get deep behind me. And he calls Peter Satan. That's not, you know, it's not something you really want to hear from Jesus. It's kind of like an owie. It's like, oh, that hurts. Peter would fall, but he would not fall from God's grace. Isn't that amazing? Peter would fall, but not from God's grace. Please remember that in Peter's life, in your life. I remember it in my life, in this church's life. If you're looking for a perfect church, you have not found it. If you continue that search, if you think you've ever found it, please don't go there because you will ruin it. <laughs> Amen? Because the problem's you. The problem's me. The problem's us. We are the church. Whenever somebody says that the church has got problems, they say, Amen. All churches have problems because they're made out of us-ins. We-ins, you all, y'all. It's made out of people. It's like when you go to, anybody ever go to family outings, and I want you to think about this for a second, you ever go to a family outing and think, oh, it's just going to be perfect? If you do, you're, you need help. This isn't going to happen, right? No matter how much you love your family, you go to a family outing, what happens? You know, fights, Aunt Susie shows up, you know, you always have the one totally unsaved heathen in your family which goes completely crazy every time meets the rest of you who know the Lord Jesus. And it's just it's crazy. Why? Because families like that. We're family. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are the body of Christ. 
And so don't expect when family gets together that there aren't going to be a few fruits and nuts. Yeah, more nuts in this case than fruits in this church. But there will be a vast variety of flavors, shall we say, in the body of Christ. And we're not all in the same place. And some of us are doing really good and some of us not so much. The church is a hospital family. And Peter was in desperate need of getting some intensive care here. He needed help. And Jesus said, I've prayed for you, that you might have more faith. If we wrap this up this morning, notice this different dispensation. People get hung up on that word, but it's very simple to understand. It just simply means economy. When you think of the word dispensation, just think of it as an economy. It's how God works in the world. And we can look at it. If you're here in America, we use dollars. If you're in France... Uh, Well, don't go to France. If you're in Israel, you use shekels. If you're in Europe, you, you use the euro. There are different economies of how God functions, different ways that that economy is, is then meted out. And notice what he says. And then he said to them that when I sent you without a money bag and a knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? He asked them a rhetorical question. Did you lack anything when I sent you out initially? I told you not to take anything with you. And you did that, and what happened? You're all here, aren't you? You're all okay, aren't you? Have you ever lacked for any, Have you ever missed a meal is basically what he's saying. And they said, nothing. We've lacked nothing. The answer to the question was nothing. We haven't lacked anything. And he said to them, but now, here's the change in the dispensation. Originally, as the gospel was going out to the Jewish people, he said, here's how we're going to do it, because we need to identify with this message going to the Jews. They're going to reject the message, but I'm sending you out, and here's how we're going to do it. But now, the change, the swap. He who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. That seems kind of strange coming from Jesus, because the word sword here is a defensive weapon. It's a weapon used for personal protection. It's like me saying, well, if you, you, know, if you don't have one, it wouldn't be a bad time in life for you to go buy a, buy a weapon for your house. Because the world is an ugly place. And currently the enemy is raging and roaring and there are all kinds of really bad people who intend to do really bad things to you and God does not expect you to stand there and go, well, God bless you, brother. Could you please shoot my wife? That's called being not too bright. So what Jesus was saying is, times, they are a-changing, to quote Bob Dylan. Don't normally do that on Sunday morning, but the times, they are a-changing, okay? The economy is changing. The dispensation is changing. For I say to you, that which is written must still be accomplished in me. He's saying, look, we're not quite done yet. It isn't quite finished yet, but it's going to be. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Gives one more piece of the prophetic puzzle. For the things concerning me to have an end. And so they said, look, Lord, here's two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. There's a little bit of irony in that voice in the original language. He's basically saying, no, you guys aren't getting it. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you building a physical army. I'm talking about when you go into the land, there's probably going to be bandits and robbers, and you may need a sword to say, look, you can't have my money bag. I'm going to need this because the Lord Jesus is in heaven now, and he's not doing miracles right here right now for me. And so you could overpower me and take my knapsack and everything I own, and I'm going to not be able to preach the gospel. So, no, you can't have my money bag. And Peter's like, swords, yes! John, sell everything. Let's see how many swords we can get. How much money do we have? That's basically the picture. Go buy a whole bunch of swords. The economy was changing. The law was changing. The way God was working. The age of grace was coming. The economy of the law was fading. The economy of grace would be there very shortly. Change was basically in the air. He says, but now go buy one. You can defend yourselves. Can I remind you, God's kingdom still has not fully come to this earth. You can pretty much see that in the world, can't you? If you think that God planned for those wacky terrorists in France to be able to walk in and just blow people away because of a cartoon, you don't know much about God. That wasn't God. That was the enemy at work in those folks. Do you think that rogue nations ought to be able to possess nuclear weapons and threaten the entire earth with them? You don't know much about God. God's love. He doesn't want those things. He's not after everybody's life. It's the enemy. He's at work. And he has not yet been put to bed. But he will one day. It's coming. I know the guy who has the key. It's up in heaven right now. And one day he's coming back to earth to unlock that bottomless pit and throw him where he belongs. But right now, he's still doing his deal, isn't he? Praise God for the dispensation of grace. You see, you, you may need some protection while you're here on earth, but only so far as you need it to protect yourself, your loved ones. That's why I can tell you that police officers who hold that office are not in sin. People who go to fight wars are not in sin. It's not contrary to God's working in this world for us to defend those who are defenseless. It's the right thing to do, as horrible as those things are. It is still better than the other outcome, which is you allow innocent people to be taken advantage of, killed. We, we need law enforcement. We need our military. Because Satan is still very much alive and well on planet Earth. Now, should that be used judiciously? Absolutely. As a last resort, even. Absolutely. Should violence ever be the first court of resort? No, never. But you may end up in a situation where you have no recourse but to defend your family. God isn't going to save you from everything. Most of you know, I actually hold a black belt in martial arts. So does Robert back. He's got several stripes on his. Anyone ever attacks my wife, I'm going to break parts off and beat them with it. Just, just saying. That's how it's going to go down. You break into my house, you don't get out that front door before I click that gun, you're going to be not so good. Now, am I bragging about that? No, I'm just telling you straight up, Satan's alive and well, and anybody that thinks he can come harm my family is going to not like the result. 
not because I don't want them to get saved. They have already chosen who they're going to serve when they break into my house. That's it. Now, if they'll yield, they'll get down on their face, then don't shoot them. Jesus told the disciples to get a sword for a reason. The world remains evil. God's one day going to take care of all of it, but that hasn't happened yet. The times have changed. Israel has the right to defend itself, and you could obviously carry this whole thought process all the way out to nations and kingdoms. And what he says in answer to that is, it's not all done yet. Can I remind you that it's still not all done? Because Jesus also was saying, there will come a time when all Israel will be saved. That hasn't happened yet. We're still in what we call the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. The times of the Gentiles, as Romans 11 clearly states it. So he said, look, you guys are going to need these things. Judas had rounded up his cohort of thugs. Those troops were on the march. And Jesus wasn't saying you need it for him. He said you need it for yourself. So when Malchus gets into the garden, it wasn't Jesus' design for Peter to be his defense. Jesus could have called a legion of angels if he wanted them. He was saying, when you guys leave here, when you head out on your mission into this world to go and spread the gospel to all of the earth, not everybody's going to receive it. And they're going to try and take you out. He wasn't thinking of armed resistance, and the gospel is never spread by armed resistance, ever. The Crusades were an abomination. The Spanish Inquisition, an abomination. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Go beat people up, make them confess. That's what Islam does. That's why I can tell you it's not of God. What he's saying here is, if you're walking down the road and some robbers try and take your purse, it's okay for you to hold your sword out and say, mm, that's not a good idea. The devil's after all of us still. But what's coming from the cross is going to be the ultimate answer. It is finished. It's done. You see, our power problem is fixed by faith. And that faith in our matchless Savior. That's why Romans 8 is so beautiful. It begins with, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? By the time you get down there in the 37th verse, for we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The secret ingredient while we're still here? More faith. The only power problem we have is because we don't ask for more faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your amazing goodness to us. And we, like you, prayed for the disciples. Lord, just simply ask you directly, Lord, give us more faith. Help us in our times of need, our times of trouble, our times of joy. God, in all times of every day, would we be found in need of more faith, Lord, more trust, more resting in you. God, help us to live our lives in a way that bring you glory and honor so that when we, Lord, have our falls and our faults and failures, God, that we can return to you and strengthen our brethren. Lord, show the world what it means to live by faith. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. 
all God's people said. Amen. Amen.